The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. Hello, you gorgeous lot, and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Elaine here. How are you all doing? I hope that you are well, looking after yourselves, being kind to yourself, and of course, each other. In today's episode, I chat with the brilliant Imogen Sterling. We talk about Imogen's pathway into the industry, her spoken word poetry, poetry in general, and what that brings up for a lot of people. And we talk about her new show with Vanishing Point, Love the Sinner, which will be on at the Tron Theatre in Glasgow on the 11th, 12th and 13th of May, and at the Traverse Theatre in Edinburgh on the 16th and 17th of May. All information is linked in today's show notes. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, subscribe, download, review and share the episodes. It really does make a huge difference and gets our guests heard by as many people as possible. If you would like to support Persistent and Nasty and the work that we do, the podcast, the coffee mornings, the advocacy work and uh, we're very much hoping this year to bring back some of our script readings, so that work as well. You can become a persistent pal or a nasty hero. Links for that are also in today's show notes. We are so incredibly grateful to all of you who support us or have supported us in the past. You really make a huge difference and Louise and I are eternally grateful. You can follow us on all social media. Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty, send us an email to Persistent and Nasty at Gmail. I still haven't set up the TikTok again, but it is my aim. It is my aim. You can follow Louise and I on social media. Louise is at Ms. Louise Oliver on both Twitter and Instagram, and I am at Elaine Stirrett on Twitter and at Elaine.Stirrett on Instagram. Now for today's episode. Um, oh, for today's episode, I would suggest whatever you damn well please, to be honest, just have whatever you like. I do have a request from one of our listeners, though. Um, one of our listeners, Ashley, sent me a little request as there is a new coffee shop opening in Glasgow, and um. You can. Uh, this coffee shop is going to be called Sexy Coffee. So, if you fancy a sexy coffee, um, then please feel free. Ashley, I told you I would give you a shout out. <laughs> um, and if coffee isn't your bag, well, you can always just have a good old cup of tea. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Imogen Sterling, welcome to the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. How exciting. I was very excited. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm tired, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. um it's already felt like a long week and we're only part of the way through it. Uh yeah. but I'm good. I'm good. You have a fabulous jumper on though. Oh, thank you. And um, for people that can't see, it's this gorgeous uh, tie-dye black and pink number. It has a little slogan. It says, 
equalization and I Which don't really know why but, but I like it, it. <laughs> I, I really I'm enjoying it a lot <laughs> so Imogen for people who don't know you please let's have a little potted history of you your pathway into this industry and then we can talk about your current project um, which is probably why you're a bit like, oh my goodness, it's only halfway through the week. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, a potted history. It's always hard knowing where to, where I to know. start. So I think like, well, was let's start with the poetry. Was poetry um, always a big influence in your life? Did you find it early on at school? No, no, not at all. Um which is funny because poetry in whatever form is like kind of the main area that I work in at the moment. Um, really didn't didn't vibe with it at school, um, as with like so many young people, because I, I do work quite a lot with young people now. And, and it's the same, even, you know, all these years down the line, people just think it's it's not for them. It's isolating. It makes them feel stupid. Uh, and I was I was exactly the same. Didn't didn't really have much time for it. I loved I love language, love words, um, but poetry, not so much. Um, and I, so I, I was at school, I went, I went to uni, I studied English Lit and um, uh, Theatre Studies, and then following that went on a, a strange um, music tour, uh, which was really exciting actually for, for nearly nearly two years, and again during that time was untouched by, by, by poetry, um, but I think I felt like I, I loved writing, I loved I loved language and I felt quite even though the way I was living was very creative um it was it was constant music and writing and performance I still just felt like I I wasn't really I was touring with my my partner at the time and uh he was the one who was really taking ownership over over kind of lyrics and I just felt really creatively kind of stunted and it was actually a really horrible thing happened to to a a girl that I was friends with um and I wanted a way to write about it and I just I felt like you know sort of drawing on theatre at the time didn't feel at all relevant music was feeling kind of distant to me and so I just experimented with with writing poetry and and, you know what kind of voice that lent and and that was it really It, it it felt like a tentative opening to to something that was exciting um, and then actually a, a friend of mine from the States just uh, happened to buy me tickets to see a, a spoken word performer called Shane Koizan, who who he loved. And I'd never heard of him before, but he, he was coming to Glasgow and my friend was like, you must, you know, this guy is fantastic. Uh, you must see him. And that was my kind of entry point into spoken words, whatever that is. And it, it just really blew my mind. Um, and I decided to sort of try it out for size. And and I loved it. It's really interesting what you're saying about um firstly, like, oh god, so many things, Elaine, get your brain. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that conversation I think so many of us probably feel about poetry at school and it about it feeling really um I don't know if I'm about to make a huge sweeping generalization, which, you know, if I am, please correct me and anybody else who's listening can as well. But like there is for me, there's always felt like a class element with poetry. Mm-hmm. Um and this kind of idea of, you know, the great poets were really kind of aristocratic, um, you know, all of the our Byrons, etc. Yeah. And 
that doesn't feel like it can resonate. But then I suppose as well, if you're Scottish, you do have Rabbi Burns, massive misogynist, but we'll continue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, it was like, oh, we have. Yeah. Um, and I, so I would do wonder about that. Like, I wonder what that kind of block is. If it's school, if it's the way it's taught in school. Yeah, I, I do wonder because something that I've 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 learned sort of retrospectively when I when I've gone into schools now um to do to do poetry work is that quite often teachers will kind of admit that they themselves feel intimidated by poetry. And I think it's just this this same hang-up that you never really you get frightened of it by a child, you avoid it for your adult life until you find yourself in a position as a teacher or a similar role where you're having to, to touch on it again. And you've never got over that initial fear. So I think actually the teachers themselves, again, I'm sure this is a sweeping generalization, but teachers I've spoken to seem to still hold on to that that weariness of it. And so it never really goes away. And, and that's why I really love being, being able to kind of show all the places to two kids that poetry does exist you know it's there it's there in literally all the music that is being played on radios some like way more overtly than others you've got these like fucking brilliant artists like like self-esteem and Arlo Parks who are just so so obviously and so explicitly using the spoken word in uh in their music then you've got you know all the like fantastic rap and hip-hop and and it's just so it's just fine showing the poetry is everywhere and it's not Shakespeare or Robbie Burns it's yeah just trying to crack that open I think I think that's a really is that beautiful way of putting it right because you know poetry is in our song lyrics it is in everything that we read and um and probably for most people their first thing of poetry without even realizing it as you say is in music rap uh particularly and totally. so that's and you know like you're talking about going in now as an education and going in and doing these workshops like what do you find now when you teach young people about poetry does it kind of change your view again I think it just it keeps it keeps reminding me that poetry can be about anything that there is no subject unworthy of poetry because I I feel like I I know that and that is what I try to sort of make clear in my in my own work but there's still a part of me that slips into maybe what's more expected, especially, I don't know, kind of like in the, in the spoken word scene, there is a lot of recurring, uh, a lot of recurring themes and stories. And, and sometimes it's, it's a kid being like, can I write a poem about my dog? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can actually. Yes, you can. You can write a poem about your dog. You can write a poem about your favorite footballer. You know, it's, it's nothing is, nothing is unworthy of being poetized, if that is a word. And it's really nice. It's really refreshing. I love it. And where was it that you did uh, your degree? Uh, at Glasgow. So that was, Glasgow. that was my name's Glasgow. Glasgow Uni. Yeah. Um, and how did you find that experience at the uni? A bit hit or miss, to be honest. Um, I really... Yeah, I don't know. It, it really... I think for someone who had a real practical interest in theatre mainly um it did certainly feel limiting to be so um so academic for so long and I really struggled at the end of my third year I I was really desperate to leave um I was talked into staying which which I I'm glad of now um 
I mean, I there, I met a lot of really interesting people, a lot of people who are, are really good peers and collaborators today. Um, people, I mean, Kieran Hurley, he was one of my first uh, tutors, I think. And so there were these folk that you just, you found and you held on to and, and have been real sources of inspiration. Um, but I did find it a very long time, to be honest. Uh, so some good points, some not so much. Um, my final year was brilliant, actually. I'm really, I'm glad that I stayed because I uh, I rebelled against the um, the theatre studies department and, and their kind of hatred of, of musical theatre at the time. And we had to do, uh, we had to do work placements. And I ended up with this attachment to um, a big uh, Tim Rice show in, in London. And it was so, it was amazing. Like working on this big, like big commercial piece. It was so distant from from the scene that I'd begun to to experience in Glasgow, and it was fantastic. Like seeing how such a huge team operates, and and the hierarchies, and the and the role, uh, the whole thing was just it was really fascinating. Um, and I learned a lot from that, and I felt like it was this final propelling kind of boost at the end of my degree that actually felt very uh, tangible and helpful, and just kind of wild and exciting at the same time yeah yeah that's I mean I love that you just were like no I'm gonna go and do musical theater so exactly exactly and like obviously because you talked about um touring with music and so for you you was theater and music always a big part of your life like were you did you do the usual drama school classes moving on up yeah 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 it was great it was great I um I was with the Edinburgh Playhouse for a long time in their musicals club. And then then it became a little bit of a sort of point of tension because I, I'd left them to join the Lyceum Youth Theatre and, and you couldn't really be in both at the same time. They were a little bit warring against each other. It's um, like the SYT <laughs> and RSEMD juniors. Like, yep. You couldn't be, you shouldn't have been in both. No, it was. <laughs> did not go down well. I bet, I bet. It was so tense. There were like two clans. It was so yeah. funny. It's so funny. It's so funny. Yeah. 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 I remember RSMD Juniors. We did a, we did a, what was it? I, I was involved with the, the Brunson Youth Theatre and we did a collaboration with RSMD juniors and it was just like this is the big city and these are like it just felt like we were this tiny little group of east coast children coming to like the big school and the big like it all felt so legit and (laughs) overwhelming (laughs) I mean there is something for people who don't know it RSMD was what a Royal Conservatoire of Scotland was previously so yeah so you, you had that experience and then obviously Mm-hmm. There a reason do you think your love of words was the reason that you went to uni instead of kind of going down the drama school route or was that just never something no it was yeah I was really torn between the two um at the end of school um and I think because I was very academic at school um there was a part of me that felt like I was going to miss out on something mm. um by not going to uni. Mm. I don't know if I was right or wrong there. Um, but I just felt, I don't know, in retrospect, I thought at the time, 
And I don't know if it, maybe actually I was just a little bit scared of, of drama school, but I had this thing in my head. I was like, oh, you know, they're just, they're producing carbon copies and, you know, they're producing something that clearly I'd, I'd, I'd overheard somebody say once and I just held on to it. Sort of like, you know, I'm going to go to uni and I, I'm going to uh, really intellectually challenge myself. And then I'm going to sort of return to theatre with this new mindset and, and, I, I don't, I mean, I think that, you know, they're as guilty of sort of producing carbon copies as drama schools are. Um, but at the time that that was just, I felt like I was letting myself down by not following through on, on the kind of grades that I had. Um, and I don't know, I either sort of regret it or don't regret it really. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting because you're still like, I do feel like for young people, because I think back about it as well, like, there's such a sense of pressure on you at that oh, age. God, yeah. And it's like, it, you've almost built it up in your head of like, if I don't make the right decision, that's it, my life's absolutely fucked and it's never going to go the way that I thought it was going to go when actually there are so many different ways in life. Like, I know. Yeah. And you just, you, and I think as well, and I don't because I'm sure there are some amazing schools that say and give them that experience, but I can only speak from when I was at school that you know it was like I was constantly sit told, well, I don't think that you should really be going to drama school because you know you're not going to have this. You, you know, Elaine, you're really good at biology. Have you thought about doing nursing? Because somebody had once heard that my mum was a nurse, and I was like, <sighs> yeah, no, I'm cool, thanks. Yeah, I'm okay. I also couldn't be a nurse because I'd cry every day. <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine? Like every day, I would yeah. be on the carpet sobbing my heart out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's just this pressure that I think, and I do wonder if then that is it. Well, it must be internalized in us, right? About then, like you kind of going, oh, I have these grades, I need to do something about it. And then that fear of that age of like, what if I miss out on something? But then, That's exactly what it felt like. Like I really think everybody, you know, if 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 you're following through to the end of of school, you should be forced to take I don't know a year or whatever amount of time. Like there's no way that you can. Nobody knows themselves enough, and and even if they are very lucky to know themselves well, you cannot think straight under that type of pressure. It's just not. It's not healthy, and and whatever route you choose to go down, I'm you know I I don't really think there are wrong routes. But they are time commitments. And for me, that was that was four years that I was then subscribed to. And again, whether or not it was right or wrong, it was a big chunk of time that I probably should have had more time to consider. Yeah. Yeah, we do really force... We force our young people, it's so interesting, we force them to grow up while not wanting them to grow up either. Yeah, I've been teaching a group of young people and they're amazing and mm-hmm. one of them I asked them what the difference was like coming to college that in comparison with being at school and one of them said this thing and I was like oh my god that's so bloody profound yeah. and they were like um, at school they want us to be adults but treat us like children <laughs> and I was just like yeah they do they want you to yeah it's deep I know, right? 16, so like ready for the yes. 16, 17, ready for the world. I was like, I would not have had that insight at that age. No, no way. Able to articulate those words. 
that's impressive. Right. And I was like, oh yeah, you're so right. They absolutely do. They want you to behave like an adult, but they are absolutely still treating you like a child. So even in that sense of, even if you do know exactly what you want to do when you leave school, someone is still questioning you rather than allowing that decision. Because if that was another adult, maybe they would, but they wouldn't certainly wouldn't do it to the same level. No, not with the persistence of it at all. I ended up leaving school early actually, which was really good in retrospect I think I had like just under a year uh before I then did go to uni and even though I had already made my decision it was just so it was so nice having that time it felt just experiencing the world and life a little bit before before moving on to that next thing it was it yeah. was space yeah I stayed on till sixth year and it was an absolute waste of time but I had an absolute ball yeah but <laughs> Yeah, I was an absolute ball. Like um we painted our common room bright yellow and red. It was horrific. Um and then we would all go out on a Thursday night and come in on a Friday morning hungover into this horrific room that's like so bright. Um, Yeah, yeah, it was a waste of time, but great waste of time. (laughs) Waste of time but fun. And so after uni, you obviously talked about going on tour and touring all over um, and with the music and you said with your previous partner. And Mm. I'm really interested in that kind of thing that you said about feeling stilted and stuck creatively. And do you think that was just because you were still quite young and maybe hadn't found your voice yet? Or was it a whole mixture of stuff? Um, it was kind of a mix. I think it was because because we were working. It was very much a music tour, and I so I'm I'm a singer, but I don't really do anything else. Uh, and so my partner was uh, also a singer, but an instrumentalist too. Um, and also he had kind of grown up like his parents were musicians. He'd grown up around music, and it really was so new to me. Like even just even the way that gigs. So basically, the tour was like we were supposed to go away for a couple of months just because I I was, you know, I was fresh out of uni, my head was a bit scrambled. And I was like, wouldn't it be nice just to go, um, yeah, go see places, have a bit of bit of time out and we'll do some busking while we're there. Uh, and it just really kind of snowballed. It went very well. Um, and so we were, we were being booked for gigs quite consistently and just, that's why we ended up staying away for so long. But even, it was just, I, I already felt, on the back foot because I was sort of one skill set down, I suppose. We were both vocalists, but he had the added benefit of being a, an instrumentalist too. But even then when we were going to gigs, I didn't know how to like set up a mic stand. I didn't know how to operate a sound desk. Um, men talked over me constantly. Like even it was just from, from the get-go, it was unbearable. But I felt as in the men who were generally the ones um like organizing the gigs or or the yeah um operating the tech or whatever uh and I felt like I couldn't really stand up for myself because I didn't actually have the knowledge to do so I had to just admit that I was I was there as a singer but I couldn't contribute to the setup or the takedown or or or, or anything so it was just it was it was just so frustrating on so many levels um and it was annoying because there was something immensely empowering I think at such a young age being able to travel so freely and sustain like financially sustain myself so well that and it's that was such a cool thing and it was yeah. really, really exciting but it was completely dampened by 
feeling like I was the sort of second in command constantly yeah. and I just couldn't really stand it after a while I don't blame you it's really I mean and I'm not uh not in the music industry at all so um anybody listening can correct me but it does feel like it still is very male dominated and that male energy and I do that in quotation marks because um, it's about that energy rather than the person I think and that kind of sense of like control and knowing better where it actually just because you didn't know how it worked specifically doesn't mean that you might not have come up with a brilliant way to do something I know I know and then the gate would start and I would be the one leading the chat and leading the song so that power balance shifted completely and probably well I hope they were then like oh shit you know we got that wrong um but it was too late because I'd already I'd already experienced all this frustration beforehand and and yeah it it really was it was annoying and it was annoying because it was so consistent across the board because we really were like performing in a weird and wonderful variety of places so I felt like I got a pretty good uh idea of how consistently men were shit (laughs) (laughs) in those situations it was it was annoying it's okay you're allowed to say it no so we don't have to preface it with all we know it's not all men no no but you know there's a lot of you that are shit I'm sorry it's true there's a lot of just general people that are shit. Also true. <laughs> um, but you know, in this in this context, yeah. Um, so when you finished and you came back, um, did you have a break or was that when like you talked about obviously the thing that's happened um to the girl that you know and that kind of you really felt like you needed an outlet for that? Yeah, I think so. like again, it was just one of these times where so many different things were were sort of happening in tandem. Like, you know, personally, I'd been I'd been touring with with my partner and, and you know, we were nearing the end of our relationship at that point. Uh, creatively, I was getting more and more frustrated and, and you know, desperate to to have my own thing. Um, and and this this horrible the, this this friend of mine, she, you know, losing her was just like sometimes you need a terrible trauma to just kind of kickstart you again and make you realize that this relationship is over this creative path is not fulfilling me I need to so I think everything just happened at once really um and so uh like we were still living abroad uh at the time that we broke up my partner and I so I I just came directly back to Glasgow and kind of just fell into the spoken word scene like even though I'd lived here for so long I just didn't really know that it was it was a thing um and just I think it was like the night at Indeep or something like that I just I just started going to these different open mics and just seeing what it was about um and I think I was just maybe a little bit because I felt I felt at the time that there was a lot of uh kind of nervousness and and politeness within the scene um a lot of people quite scared perhaps to to share their pieces and to and to kind of platform their own voices and I don't know if I maybe just had a combination of arrogance actually and creative frustration and these two things came together and I was like I'm just I don't want to do open mics like I just want to I think I'm going to be good at this and so I'm just going to do it so I I signed up to the fringe to to do a show and I just sort of set myself that as as a deadline to kind of learn how to do spoken word and um I absolutely love that (laughs) I absolutely like 
I love a deadline <laughs> and a challenge, so it all worked out. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to do this little by little. I'm just going to throw myself at the fringe. Very much. I just, because I'd been so absent from theatre for a long time, I didn't really know how awful the fringe could be. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know what I was getting in for. And and honestly, it was like the most cushioned, comfortable fringe experience you could have had because it was very much... I was I performed at the the Scottish Poetry Library, who are just such a brilliant venue. Like they're so great, and and they have such a dedicated audience already that the show was always going to do well because if nothing else, their own audience was going to be there. Um, and everything down to I, I can't remember like the sort of admin and finances of it all. They took so much charge of it that actually it was it was a very gentle and nice way to do the fringe. So it wasn't your your usual graft. Yeah. I mean that that is lovely but I mean also the fringe is like equal parts absolutely awful to absolutely glorious like, no I know it's this is this pendulum that swings and it can swing hourly when you're there mm-hmm. you like you're I'm like, always like I, I'm so set on what 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 side I'm on I'm like the fringe is awful I'm, I'm never going again I will never tell anyone to do it again and then suddenly you're there and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. I love it. Like, I'm going to shout about this to everybody. I know. I know. And it is really, it's one of these things, I think we've talked about it on the podcast as well. Like when we first did our um, Edinburgh Fringe series, which would have been in 2019, mm-hmm. it, it really helped me fall back in love with the Fringe because yeah. I had like really fallen out of love with the Fringe. Um, just a couple of <clears throat> different experiences and some great, some then really awful um, and getting really frustrated with some really shitty shows that were like, you know, you, you pay like 25 quid and you're like, this is what yeah. I paid 25 quid for, I'm sorry, what? Um, but yeah, just all of that and then, but it is, it's such a pendulum. Isn't and it? I can, even now, like even last year, which did start to feel like it felt more like kind of the fringe kind of getting back on its feet but there were days I was through and I was like oh fuck I fucking hate this why am I here and then the next day I would be through and I'd be like oh my god yeah look at all the creativity I know I know it's the strangest thing I can I just I can't get my head around it still yeah so that was um was that 2018 um, yes yes yeah. and that was hypocrisy right Yes. So tell us, like, what was your premise of your show then? Because it did really well. It did, but honestly, I'm kind of caught between, I never want to, I always want to give credit to work that has been done. You know, I think it's the fact that anyone makes anything and puts that into the world should only ever be celebrated. But also, I do cringe slightly looking back on it. Like, it just, it was basically... um, so it was it was me it was it was a poetry a sort of narrative poetry show um with music ranging between one and three musicians depending on <laughs> budget normally and and location um and it was about the it was sort of autobiographical about my experiences of traveling really but specifically the the kind of ease of which you can travel as a white british woman and uh the the society's kind of selective um compassion and the 
kind of returning returning to Glasgow as a city that is as flawed as they come and and kind of rife with inequalities. And I think it was a very well-intentioned show, but it was certainly very kind of earnest. And yeah, I don't know. It was what it was. Um, people did really like it and it did very well. And it's, um, it went to a lot of interesting places and was a really good sort of um, first step into, into, I don't know. But that's it though, isn't it? Like it's your first step and it's this thing, again, we've talked about this before and this idea of how, you know, as artists, we're like never really allowed to fail. Like, you know, we're not allowed to make these mistakes. Like we had Layla on a few weeks ago, Layla Josephine, Mm -hmm. and she was talking about when she made Groom, like she thought it was shit before she actually saw it. And then it got all this uh, and everything. And, and she was like, oh my God, I've failed and I've wasted all this money. And it's like, yeah, but you haven't, you created something. Yeah. And I think it's such a feat in itself. Yeah, and I think we're really conditioned to almost, yeah, like like almost kind of uh, disregard those first few things that we make because actually any artist knows that your process begins and it moves and evolves and changes with every project. Um, so I say celebrate it. Yeah. I think so. I think so. I do. I do try. I wish. Again, sometimes when we do the podcast, people can't see your, people's faces. Yeah. Imagine face right there was like mm, really, really. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. <laughs> no, I'm like, I'm. Very, I am very proud of the show. Creatively, I mean, I think it left some things to be desired. But I learned so. I'm really proud of the actual process of putting it on, and I did it so entirely single-handedly and I like I learned a shit ton from it all to be honest like it's it's really it's been so illuminating in in kind of informing my practice now um so I'm I'm definitely I'm I'm very proud of that whole period of time uh I just will maybe delete it from Spotify soon (laughs) that's that's kind of where I'm at with it isn't it brilliant though that you can be like I learned so much from that job like oh, that yeah. experience, I learned so much from it. And that I'm like, but then that makes you the artist that you are now. Absolutely. And and again, I think I, I really had, and I don't think I realized it until later, but I had a really hang a really hang up, a really big hang up <laughs> from all this time of having toured as a as a male male-female partnership and just being comp- like consistently undermined and demeaned even just like little bits and so I think I went I went into this show with this really dogged determination that I just wasn't I wanted to do it all myself and and I kind of realized that like shit I actually am not used to doing this I'm not actually used to going into a venue and me being the person that they're talking to like I really it, it was it was a really steep learning curve um a really good one um but uh quite quite sort of tiring as well yeah I mean yeah quite solo yeah and again probably the fringe can amplify that feeling of really being on your own as well when you are doing a show um so hypocrisy happened it happened (laughs) it came and went (laughs) came and went can still get it on spotify for a little bit longer for a very limited time (laughs) And then your next 
project? Um, I mean, so there was a sort of in-between time, like Love This Inner, which is the project that I'm working on now. I mean, it has been it has been ongoing for a number of years, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, it was kind of cushioned with a, a, a sort of bulk of time when I was touring as as a poet, as a poet with music, um, as opposed to kind of working on a project, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so Love the Sinner, Love the Sinner I began working on kind of as the tour of hypocrisy was wrapping up, which I think was in 2019. Um, <laughs> so long ago. But I was just very, very like tentatively starting. Yeah, but we have had a global pandemic in that time that I think we all need to kind of remind ourselves of a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, yeah, it's it's so funny still just like trying to trying to timeline things in your head and, and just work out. Because it was not, like, I remember, so I was I was like wrapping up the tour of hypocrisy by the summer of 2019 but I also had like a really big Australian tour for the show planned at the start of 2020 so I'd like at the end of 2019 begun begun working on Love the Sinner very like as this sort of loose concept that I was interested in and I did I did a couple of kind of scratch events with it but all with the understanding that I was then going to be leaving it for a number of months while while going on this tour um and then, and then chaos descended. I mean, the tour was actually cancelled because of um, the the bushfires in Australia, um, which just felt like the world was crumbling. It, yeah, and then the it, world it, did it, crumble because yeah. COVID yeah. came right in the back of it. And it was quite a way to start a year. Just, I mean, it really was. It was like, uh, welcome to a new decade. Oh my God. <laughs> Massively. It's going to be a fucking shit show. And I felt like I'd... I'd was it, it was really it was really emotional like having having that tour fall through and and suddenly like being left with this expanse of time where you thought you were going to be somewhere doing something and then trying to be like okay now I have this time how am I going to do that and I I literally just sort of remapped it all out again and and sort of reprogrammed things and and sort of got my career back together and then and then it all fell apart again so it was a really like tough start to 2020. Yeah. I think this is something that um probably kind of gets forgotten about in amongst all of this, like you know, for freelancers of whatever um variety of freelancer you are, like how as you say, you had something that was booked and then for a separate reason apart from the pandemic fell mm-hmm. through. So you then were like doing the hustle as we all do to then get it back on its feet. And then the pandemic came in and just like wipe to everything and I do actually think I do think there's a bit of trauma in the arts like from that yeah like I think we're all a little bit still a little bit bruised like yeah yeah and I just like it was just so it was so awful in so many so many ways because it was it was your emotions and your finances and your art and everything all all hit at once. And like I do, I do find myself very sort of edgy when it comes to creating new new work now because I there's something that feels so so fragile and temporary about all of it. Even even if that's you know not so much the case, but it was it was even when we were coming out of it all, and it was the constant cancellations of things and the the immediate loss of of finance and opportunities and this that and the next thing it's just yeah I think we really hold on to that 
Yeah, yeah, I do. I think we're, I mean, I'm hoping, I think it is starting to lessen, but I think it is definitely still there a little bit. Um, So you've been working on Love the Sinner, uh, which I love the title of, by the way. Thank you. My mum came up with it. Oh, did she? She's very proud. I love it even more then. (laughs) Um, Give the listeners a little, um, what the kind of concept of Love the Sinner, your current show, which is opening at the Tron um, next week, the 11th, 12th. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. 11th, yeah, 11th, 12th, 13th. 13th, yeah. 16th and 17th at the Traverse. At the Traverse. I will be linking everything in today's episode anyway for people get along and see it. Louise and I have our tickets for the 12th. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the show based on your poetry. Yeah, yeah. So, um yeah, so a brief summary of it is that it, it's a piece that was always intended to be uh, written for the stage in one, one way or another, whether that was as a sort of performance poetry thing, whether it was a theatre thing, didn't really know. Um, but I was writing it as as COVID hit, and so I sort of diverted attention and and focused on creating a, a poetry collection in a in a book uh, instead because it felt more doable and and tangible and happenable <laughs> at that time. Um, so it's 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 a sort of narrative poetry uh, piece based around the seven deadly sins, um, but with the sins set as characters in a contemporary Scottish cityscape, a sort of Glasgow, but not quite. Um, and it 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 follows it follows their stories. Um, these these seven figures struggling with their um, with their anxieties, with their with their lives, with their obsession, with um, sort of finding self betterment, I suppose, um, set against a, a backdrop of a kind of impending, um, not quite a climate crisis, but a, a drastically changing landscape. Um, so the piece was published as a uh, as a book, um, and I toured it as as a sort of stripped back poetry collection again with with music throughout 2021 or two on I, I don't I don't know I don't know now I don't know which one it was um, oh, it's okay <laughs> toured, toured in that form um but has now been adapted for uh for the stage um in collaboration with vanishing point and the piece that we're that we're working on now is it's a very it's a very big, technical, beautiful show. Um, it's a, a combination of, of the performance poetry still, but also um, there's a big electronic score, um, visual theatre, video, um, a really gorgeous sound landscape. So it's a it's a big sort of love this in our four point it's, it's been it's been elevated into a big a big gorgeous techie creation. Um, and it feels very exciting. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm very excited. How did you find it? Um, because obviously, with it being your poetry, and I don't know if this is the same for all writers when they write different things, but poetry for some reason feels even more personal than writing a screenplay or a play and then having someone else direct it. Yeah, it's... So it's funny because I guess there's kind of two parts to that. The first part is that I've really shied away from from writing personal poetry um, 
right from the outset. It just, I feel like spoken word specifically um, has a tendency to be immensely introspective and very personal and, and that's all fine and well, but it just doesn't really appeal to me. And I've always felt that I was sad that spoken words uh, lacked something of the narrative and drive and theatricality of, of theatre, I suppose. Um, so I don't feel too, like I don't feel like too much of, of myself is is caught up in the words in, yeah, in that okay. way. Um, as opposed to if it was a very, even like hypocrisy was a very personal show. And I suppose maybe someone pulling that apart might have been a bit more, uh, a bit more <laughs> difficult. I don't know. Um, but it is, I think it's, it's funny. So the, the, the show has been um, directed by um, Matt Lenton from Vanishing Point. And I think what's great is that it's as much of a challenge for him as it is for me, because he from the outset has, has said that he's, uh, not a words person, which feels a bit like, oh no, uh, this is a very strange pairing of people. And you know, if you're if you're familiar with Vanishing Point's work, it is very it's very visual. Um, it's very visual, yeah, very visual. Uh, so I think he is is learning what it is to direct poetry as much as I'm learning how it is to have my poetry directed. Mm. Um, which is is really it, it it's really nice. It's a real yeah. kind of take relationship, I suppose. Um, I also do think I've sat with the piece for long enough because it ended up being created over such a, a large amount of time that I'm not distanced from it, but I'm definitely more open to having people in the space with me. And, and I'm quite excited by having it reimagined and restructured and picked apart. I, I find that quite, it's it's just breathing this new life into it all, which is is really cool. I don't, I don't find it... Um, I don't know, difficult at all. That's great, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really nice. I think that's really lovely, like, um, you know, you saying about it not being too personal, which is great. And I think that was probably me also putting that on poets, like, because mm-hmm. I'm kind of going, if I wrote poetry, I would be like, oh yeah. my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also then I don't know how I would feel, I guess, as well as a writer, if I was performing in something as well and someone else was coming in to direct. So it's lovely that you've got this great relationship where it's really symbiotic in that way of you're both kind of moving together, which is just, which is exactly what we want when we create pieces of theatre of any kind. Um, what is it that you're hoping the audience will feel, think when they leave? I mean, like there's a part of me that does just want to show poetry in a new form or in an unexpected form. Um, I don't need everyone to be poetry converts by the end. Um, And something that we've been really, uh, really sort of adamant about in the creative process is that, you know, if you go in and you don't need to be hanging on every word, like there's a lot of words in the show, um, I think. Yeah, I think it's maybe even included like in the program note or something like don't we don't want people to go in and panic because they haven't quite understood a line or they zoned out for a minute. Like it's it's more about the the impression that the words make on you um, and the experience. Yeah, the experience of the words rather than feeling like you have to be totally stuck to and attached to everything. So I don't want I want people to 
be surprised and and excited by what poetry can be. Um, and I just I just want people to be. I think it's a really rich and and beautiful world that is in the show. I mean, I I was personally in writing it. I was very excited by um by creating this this sort of semi mythical semi familiar place, which in itself I think is quite quite magical and exciting. But when you layer upon it all the different elements that the, that the rest of the team have have created and contributed. I mean, it's so like textural and beautiful. So I just, I really just want people to be, to be transported to this wonderful half formed in between world and just, just be kind of swept away by that, I suppose. Um, and I mean, I think the the sort of overall message of the, of the show is that, you know, Sin is sin is class. Sin is great. Like you know, we're all we're all sinners. There's nothing wrong. Everybody is flawed. Every sin is beautiful. And and if if people can just come out uh, feeling a little bit more um, on board with that, uh, a little bit more um, joyful when it comes to celebrating their own their own flaws and insecurities, then I suppose that will that will be a triumph. I I really like that because I think because I think that's part of the reason why I love the title as well. Um, because we are all sinners in some way because well, well uh, what is sin as well right you know it's like there's a whole bunch of other questions going on there so too cool. um, so yeah I'm I'm really excited to see it um, I'm really excited to see it and uh, so for everybody in Scotland um, hopefully it will get a bigger longer tour very soon Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But for everyone in Scotland, it is on the Tron Theatre in Glasgow on the 11th, 12th and 13th of May and then the Traverse 16th, 17th. That's right. Yes. Yes. I mean the fact that like it's the middle of the week you've been in rehearsals all day I don't know where my day disappeared to <laughs> and um, we're getting through I'm very very happy about it. Um Imogen, I mean, I could chat to you for ages and I have so many more questions and we'll just need to get you back on because Louise is raging that she's not here. So, <laughs> um, But I do have to ask you the question that everybody gets asked at the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Imogen Sterling, <laughs> what does the phrase persistent and nasty mean to you? Hmm. It means... It means, it means, it means. I think it means being ruthlessly authentic and and uh, brutally yourself, I think. I think it means making the, the promise to yourself that you won't you won't dampen yourself to meet to meet the expectations of, of other people. I think that's what it means. I love that. Thank you. I honestly, I love it. I love it every week. People say things, and I'm like, it's so great. And I just, I absolutely love it. And thanks, Imogen. Um, And thank you so much for coming and chatting with me today. Um, Oh, thanks for having me. It's been really lovely. Um, Love the center. You can also buy the collection of poetry uh, online. Again, I will be linking everything in the show notes. for our listeners and um I really hope that next week goes brilliantly and the rest of this week's rehearsals go really well and um Louise and I will be there with bells on 
I can't wait. Thank Next you so Friday. Much. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Imogen. It's been a lovely chat. And until next time, lovely listeners, stay nasty. Stay nasty.